right, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, my name is Chris Denson. And today, <laughs> um, we're going to continue the ball rolling. Uh, in case you guys have not tuned in to Innovation Crush before, we try to talk to some of the most innovative, smart people in the marketplace that we can find. I hate the word marketplace. It's so like business. I'm going to use, mm. uh, I need an acronym um, or a synonym. The acronym is uh, something completely different. Synonym, acronym, ac- ac- acrimonious. <laughs> something that's acrimonious to marketplace. I like acrimonious to marketplaces. That's right. Uh, but today we will have the baldest show we've ever had mm-hmm. um, with my guest, Maz Jabrani. Hey, Chris. Hello. How are you? How you doing, man? Good, good. Um, I'm going to do better uh, by letting you l- introduce yourself because I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to horribleize you because because you're amazing. Well, listen, from from first of all, uh, this is a show about innovation and being two bald dudes here together. We all know how the bald, uh, you know, hair implant market is not the best. They, it's not. It always it looks not. weird. It does. Doesn't yeah. it look weird? It looks like doll hair. It looks like, I feel like it looks like a doll. It looks like a doll. And black dolls are uh, very interesting. It's horrible. Now, if you and I were to be real innovators, we should come up with a solution. I personally like the bald thing. Well, I think what happens with the baldness is that the ideas come out faster because they don't oh, have to quick. go through hair. Quick. Yeah. Quick. <laughs> no, but uh, let, give us the, the 101 on you and, uh, and sure. what we should know. And uh, you know. So my name is Maz Jobrani, which is short for Maziar. Maziar. Um, Maziar. I was born in Iran, grew up in America. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm an actor. I've just written a book, so I'm an author at this point. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was on a tour called the Access of Evil Comedy Tour, which yes. was on Comedy Central years back. Uh, I was in the movie Friday After Next uh, with Ice Cube. I was in The Interpreter. I uh, had a comedy show that was recently on Showtime and Netflix called I Come in Peace. So basically what's great about this show, and I think the I always talk about this, being a comedian and an actor and a writer and whatever else in this industry of of Hollywood that we're in, you have to be the ultimate entrepreneur. Yep. Because if you look at me, I'm not Brad Pitt. And I'm sure Brad Pitt hustled a lot too. <laughs> yep. But the point I'm trying to make is I'm not going to be walking down the street and have somebody come up to me and do their hands like the frame. You know when the directors <laughs> yeah, put exactly. your face? You know what I'm saying? You. You. <laughs> I'm not going to get the you. Right. People are not going to come and be like, you. Right. You have to be in my next you movie. You frighten me. You frighten me. <laughs> but you're not going to be in my next movie. So anyway, long story short, um, I basically always I always talk to comedians about this. I go, we have to create our own opportunities. Right. And it feels like I've been doing it, you know, because once you, once you, when you first come into the business, and I, I don't know if I'm jumping into it without you go, jump in. When you first come to the business, when you first come to Hollywood, you, you think, okay, you know what? Someone's going to discover me, and because I'm so talented, I'm so amazing. That's what you're thinking, first of all. Yep. And the, the honest truth is, you're probably not that good yet, anyway. Especially as a stand-up, you know this. You're not good <laughs> till like ten years in. Yeah. 10,000 hours. We forget what it takes for expertise to develop. It's a 10,000-hour rule still. Takes time. And so, but you think someone's going to discover you, and then you start going on, like, for, for example, for me, being uh, of Middle Eastern descent, you start going on auditions, and you realize that a lot of those auditions are to play the terrorist who's going to be killed by the good guy. Right. And you're like, wow, this is not really helping my career much. <laughs> I'm getting a check. Yeah. I'm getting to be in a Chuck Norris movie. So, what, so so when did the, like if that's if that's sort of like the beginning of your career right going on these auditions having those kinds of like oh we're gonna put you in this role you know when when did the excitement wear off because at first you like you, you don't mind being the thug or the terrorist you're like oh cool I got a gig hey mom like you know yeah. um, well you know actually the book I wrote is called I'm not a terrorist but I've played one on TV right and that talks about this Chuck Norris movie and it's interesting because 
early on, I was just, I had an office job. I was, I was, I had a, I was an assistant in an advertising agency. So I was looking for anything that would help me get out. Um, one of the things being, Hey, if I get a gig on a movie, even though it was a movie of the week, I will make enough money. Cause as a, as an, as a, as a, as an assistant in an ad agency, you're not getting paid that much. Right. So even if I'm, if I do a movie of the week, it'll be some money that I could put towards getting out of this and becoming a professional actor full time. Right. But early on, you're just taking whatever you can. Part of what happens too is you are not in a position of power. You feel like if I were to say no to my agents when they offer me an audition to go play a terrorist, if I say no, then that's kind of letting them down. Right. Is that true, though? Is it like, is it true or is that just like a, a human perception thing? Because I think we all go through that where it's like, ooh, if I, if, I, if I turn on this opportunity that I don't necessarily truly align with, like, you know, am I ruining my chances? Of- it's, I think there's, there's some truth to it because if your agents are hustling and getting you, getting you uh, auditions and then they go, well, look, all the auditions I'm getting are for terrorist auditions and you keep saying no, 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 no. Then they go, well, what am I supposed to do? But if your agents are good enough, like I was with a boutique agency, they were a smaller agency, uh, and they actually, you know, listened to their clients. So when I did, I did the Chuck Norris movie of the week, played a terrorist, felt bad, came back and said, no more terrorists. Right. And they were like, okay, we can respect that. And then they call me and they go, 24 wants you. And I go, well, what's the part? They go, it's a terrorist. I go, no. And then they go, but he changes his mind halfway through the mission. I go, ah, the ambivalent terrorist. I'll try <laughs> Never that. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Was that your, was that your key line in that episode? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't think so. Maybe next time. No, he says, I will, kill, I will kill you in the name of Allah, but he forms it in a question mark. Will I kill you in the name of Allah? <laughs> Very nice terrorist. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I think... I think it wasn't just the parts, but I think eventually, like, it took me several years of going on auditions, because ultimately when you go on auditions, it's a crapshoot. Right. And there's so many things that could be the reason why you either get it or don't get it. I've said this so many times. Like, you go in there, you kill it, you do amazingly, and the director says, you know, I'm just going to put my brother in there. It's so funny. I mean, because, you know, I compare that to, like, watching Shark Tank, right? Yeah. Or just if you look at like all the startups that are popping up all over the place and like they go and they pitch and it, it's it's the same thing. Like you're going to audition your product or your service and it's like, you don't know if you're going to fall victim to nepotism or somebody's in a bad mood that day or like <laughs> whatever. Or somebody doesn't get it. Like I am always inspired by stories of failure, by people that ended up being successful. When they right. tell their stories of failure, I go, oh yeah, that's cool. So for example- not the best example these days, but Bill Cosby, before all this stuff happened, I was just reading his book. And he talks about how even at the height of his stand-up career, he'd already done I Spy, uh, he wanted to make a film. And they were talking about how like they were screening the film for these uh, executives. Mm-hmm. And the executives kind of all turned around. They're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. They didn't get it. Was this was this Leonard Part Six? I don't know. Yeah, it was Leonard Part Six. <laughs> I forget what it <laughs> Sounds was. Sounds like it. Yeah, and but what was interesting? Then the story goes on and talks about how um, at the same time he had become friends with Marvin Van Peebles at the time, <laughs> and Marvin Van Peebles wanted to do a show, uh, a movie, and ask Cosby to invest a little bit, and Cosby invested a little bit, and then Marvin Van Peebles made the movie for I don't know, a few hundred thousand, right? And it was like one of the first black exploitation films. And he marketed it as like too hot for the white man to handle or whatever. And it made like $15 million. So point being, just because somebody doesn't let you in the door doesn't mean that you can't get in. 
You just got to find a window or a chimney yeah. or somewhere else to get in. It's always a side door. Always a side door. Um, speaking of failures, what's uh, Maziar Jabrani's um, significant? What's your what's a significant failure you can you you point to? I have never failed in my life. It's <laughs> like I like listening to other people's other stories. Other people's now. <laughs> I am ten for ten. No man, it happens all the time. I mean, whether it's I mean, first of all, when it comes to auditioning, forget it. I mean, it's like. I haven't kept track of how many auditions I've been on because I've been doing stand-up now. I mean, I've been doing stand-up and acting for like 16, 17 years professionally wow. going for it. So I'm guessing in that 16, 17 years, I've probably been on like, I don't know, 200, 300 auditions, maybe more. And I'm, you know, I probably have booked, you know, one, two percent, three percent, right? So I learned, first of all, here, here's the thing I would tell actors, and, and, and this can apply to anybody in the real world as well, is... You know, real world. The real world is acting, but I'm just saying. In in other in other businesses, I always say, um, have other things going. Don't right. have that be your only thing. Because if it's the only thing, first of all, people sense the desperation. Right. Um, secondly, if you don't succeed at it, then uh, you're kind of done. I mean, it's like you're going to be depressed. Yeah. Even if your little the other thing that you have going is like. Hey, I've been exercising and trying to stay fit, you know, right. or, or that's a beautiful thing about kids. It's like, you can go on audition, do poorly. And then when you come home, come home, the kids are beat like, your kids. beat your kids, beat your kids. <laughs> and be like, daddy didn't get the part. You're going down. Make my, make my dinner. Make my dinner. No, but you know, they, they, there's, so, so for example, with stand up, what's great for me with stand up has been, I'll go on an audition and I'll be like. Okay, great. If I get it, great. If not, I forget about it. Cause right. Because I, I go, I got my show tonight. I got to worry about my show. Right. You know, um, that's, I mean, that's, that's, it's, there's something about stand up that teaches you perseverance and resilience. Right? Absolutely. Like Absolutely. It happens every night. <laughs> every night. And so you talk about failures, it's like things like that, like, like, you know, um, trying to get on some shows and not getting on the shows. Recently, I was, Sometimes when you come close, it hurts even more. Right, right. So I was I was up for this part on a on this Amazon show that was kind of fun. It was a fun part, and I auditioned for it. And then I got word that I got really close. And then I and I I, I was kind of, I, I be in all honesty, I auditioned. I was like, okay, whatever happens, happens. And then and then once I got the call that oh, it was between you and another guy. I'm like, now I'm thinking about it. Right. And then they're like, yeah, the director might want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, God, you know. And then, and then they were like, well, they'll let you know by Monday. And then Monday came and nothing. And then Tuesday, nothing. Now, I'm, now I got to call my manager. Be like, what happened? And he's like, right. they're still deciding. Now, now I'm kind of vested in it and um, invested in it. And then what happened was I didn't get it, but it took me, it took me like, I was like, oh. And I was like, eh. And it was, I was just <laughs> happy to get the result. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just wanted to know. Like, yeah. clarity is better than. Being like lingering, um, you uh, you talk about like having the other thing going on, right? Like in, in same thing, I think in business, especially if somebody is looking to start a business, right? You're like you're working your day job and you've got this thing that's gestating, and you're like, okay, I want to I want to do this. When did you decide to make the leap? Well, you know, I what happened was uh, I kind of learned almost accidentally about about how to how to do it. Like we. Accidentally, but also part of it's like it's just genetics. I come from an Iranian background. We're very we hustle with the business, right? And so I was true, true, true that <laughs> we own a few buildings in Los Angeles. Um, but uh, I, uh, I was you know auditioning. I was doing my stand up, and then at some point, Mitzi Shore, the owner of the comedy store, mm-hmm. Polly Shore's mother, she wanted to do like a, a Middle Eastern comedy night. 
and she put me, Ahmed Ahmed, and Aaron Cater on mm-hmm. it. Uh, Sam Tripoli originally was part of it too. He called, she called it the Arabian Nights. And we performed as the Arabian Nights. That was it. But at some point as we were doing it, um, Iranians aren't Arabs, so Iranians would come to the show and they'd be like, we love the show, it's great, but we're not Arabs. I was like, I know, whatever, that's the name. And But but somehow as that was happening and as we were trying, because we would perform it in Los Angeles at the Comedy Store and then sometimes at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Okay. And then me and the guys, we started talking about like, we want to go bigger with this. And at some point we, somehow the the title Access of Evil came about, Access of Evil Comedy Tour. And that's like, that was right around 2005. So right. I've been in the game for about, you know, uh, six, seven years. And at the time I'd been on a TV show. So I had a little bit of money saved up. And I told the guys, I said, guys, so so this is what happened. We, 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 Ahmed Ahmed, who's also a very, a very good at business, he had gone to the DC Improv and done a guest set on a Mitch Hedberg show. Oh, nice. The manager there had seen him and said, hey, you're funny. Have you thought about, you know, you, you, you want to come back and do a show? And he goes, listen, I got a group of guys. We do a thing called Arabian Nights. Can we do it? The guy goes, cool. We'll give you a Monday night. Monday night, you know, me, Ahmed, and Aaron, we show up in DC and this is like middle of Bush administration, like 2004 or mm-hmm. something. And we show up and D.C. has a very big Persian and Arab population and a lot of liberal white people as well. Right. We show up, the room's 250 seats, sold out. We're like, wow, this is cool. Then the managers are excited. They're like, why don't you come back and do two nights? Cool. Come back a little while later. We do two nights. Come back again, three nights. Now we're really doing well. We're selling it out. This getting hotter and hotter. So we tell the club, we go, hey, give us a weekend. And they go, nah, you know, you know, you guys aren't really headliners. Right. Yeah, hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you guys aren't really headliners, and and you know, and you're doing fine on the weekdays. And we're and we're like, we got some, we have some film and TV credits, and we're we're doing well for you. Give us a weekend. Yeah, I don't know. All right, listen, we'll keep doing the weekday, uh, but on Thursday, let's do two shows because they, they, we kept adding weekdays. You know, let's do two shows. And by the way, we know our our audience; they're um, they're affluent, so let's up the ticket price a little bit because there's three of us and we're splitting it three ways and it's not really worth us coming and going so much. Right. Let's get a little bit more. Eh, you know, we know the market well and I think we should stick at like whatever, 15 bucks a ticket. Guys, go to 20. Eh, we should. So it was back and forth trying to convince these guys that on the business side, we knew what we were doing yeah. with, our, with our community. And they said, no, 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 no. So we finally said, you know what, guys? Screw it. Let's just change our name from Arabian Nights to Axis Evil Comedy Tour. It's going to have a big bang title-wise. Um, and also, I had the money at the time. I said, let's rent the theater ourselves. We rented a theater. We rented a 1,400-seat theater, the Lisner Auditorium in D.C. And we go, let's do it ourselves. We don't need these guys. Let's do it. Right. So put it out there. Let's go. Let's go. And what's little nerve-wracking is, like any business people know, you want people to come. And so the show was on a Friday, um, and it was November 11th of 2005. I remember because it was Veterans Day. And uh, perfect, perfect, <laughs> very perfect. patriotic. Was that, was that was that deliberate or was that kind of like uh, coincidental? It, it was a sign. It was like, listen, this it just happened. Right, that's what they had. So we go. Uh, let's do it. so. So the Monday before that Friday, so it's like three, four days out. The listener seats, I think, fourteen hundred people. So the Monday before, we'd sold seven hundred tickets. And our people are notorious for buying tickets last minute. Right. But it was nerve wracking because it was our money. Now, 700 is a great number for not having a promoter, just doing it all yourself. Yeah, totally. That's a great number. But it's half of the theater. 
So we were nervous as hell. We're like, oh my God, this is, I, this could fail. You know, come Friday, place is sold out. People are outside trying to get tickets. That's awesome. We felt so good in the back and we were like, we did it guys. We did it. Now, doesn't stop there. That's when the hustle starts. Right. Because you go, well, what's next? Yeah. How do you keep, how do you keep the ball rolling? Keep, so then we go, okay, you know what? And, and by the way, let me tell you, we were having trouble getting booked and any clubs, like I'd called a few clubs before and been like, can you give us a weekend to come out? And they were like, nah, I don't know. We, I don't know Yeesh. if you guys have a draw. <laughs> you know, it's like, who, right. and I'm like, and I'm looking at some of the comics they got going through and I'm like, that guy doesn't have a draw. <laughs> right. But you guys, but they felt like there was no audience, but I knew there was an audience. So then we talked to the guys, we go, listen, guys, I'm from the Bay Area. Um, I know that if we do a show in San Francisco, I can bring a lot of people from my high school and just growing up there. And then there's also, again, a good Middle Eastern community out there. So our next gig, we did a show in San Francisco and a show in San Jose. Thousand seaters, thousand, thousand seater in San Francisco, 600 seats in San Jose. Sell it out. Now, our own representat- representatives back in L.A. are going, what's going on? Yeah, what, are you, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and I'm like, guys, I've been telling you there's this market. And they're like, whoa. And that's when it really took off for us because what happened was one of the guys um, – Aaron had a manager named Abby Levitin, and she knew uh, the folks at Levity who do who who record specials. Yeah, and so she goes, "Listen, let's do a, a showcase." Shout night. out to Levity, a sideshow network, sideshow network, Innovation Crush. That's right, Levity Entertainment Group. Yeah, so they go, they go, "Listen, let's do a showcase in L.A., and I'm going to invite some some producers of specials to come see you guys at the Melrose Improv." So we pack the place. They come, another another production company comes, and the next thing you know, people want to work with us. Because these guys are going, you did what? How? Without a special? Without a promoter? You've just been doing yeah. it yourself? Well, I, think the, I think the amazing part about that whole journey is, you know, and we all sort of, I think you started off with this, is like, I'm going to be, I will be recognized, and this is going to be an easy journey. And you you almost had no, you didn't have a choice but to take the business into your own hand. When really, you're, you're, you want to be an entertainer. Absolutely. You don't necessarily want to be a business person, yeah. right, I'm assuming. Yeah. But it's like, it comes with the territory if you want to, especially if you have a vision. Yeah. And, and you can't convince people to come along and take the risk with yeah. you early on. Yeah. But to this day, it continues. I mean, it's like, I would say like 50% of the work is doing the work the other 50 percent is selling the work so i wrote this book i'm not a terrorist but i played one on tv uh, available on amazon and barnes and noble.com um (laughs) but i wrote the book and here i am doing a book tour around it trying to get people to buy it you know especially nowadays with the the, with facebook and youtube and all this people Mm -hmm. are used to getting content for free yeah so you got to just find ways to go hey guys you know what you know support this cause check it out pick it up um, it's coming, it's coming. It's, and also people are bombarded with so many different right. um, um, mediums that, that you might be advertising on Channel 5 and no, people are watching Channel 7. Yeah. You know? So it's a constant hustle. It's a yeah. constant hustle. But that's why I tell people no matter what it is that you do, whether it's, hey, I'm going to create an app yeah. or I want to build the next car or whatever it is. Um, you really got a lot. You really, really got to be passionate about it. Yeah, and I was just talking to a friend of mine about that before we started. I, I was like, "Hey, you know, it, that's is when you find that one thing that does not feel like work, right?" I'm sure the yeah. part of it was, you know, you liked, you knew that you were building something, and there's an excitement of, uh, around that, right? And you knew you found like a really cool market, and and that was underrepresented, probably, especially yeah. in the comedy scene. Yeah, especially you know, one of the notes I had was sort of like 
you know, I, like I'm a huge fan of comedy from the 80s up till now. And like the Comedy Central is probably still my number one viewing experience. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we spent a lot of years in comedy making fun of people from the Middle East. Yeah. And now you've kind of taken that into your own. We went from laughing at you. Now we're laughing with you. Yeah. Like, literally. Yeah. yeah. So I, my question is kind of like along the lines of, you know, how much of your work is has a social underpinning yeah. to like change perception yeah. versus like, I just want to get up on stage and have a good time. You know, uh, I, I grew up in America since I was six years old. And, and really I think what got me into stand up originally was seeing Eddie Murphy. Uh, you know, I had the same experience as a lot of us have, which is uh, around the time I was 10 years old or so he comes on the scene, he starts killing it. Now I'm watching Eddie Murphy. I'm watching all the Saturday Night Live stuff. I'm watching evening at the improv. I'm seeing right. all these guys. So initially I didn't even think about, Oh, my Iranian, my this, my that. I just thought I want to be funny. Right. Um, and then once I got into it and decided to do it, I, uh, I I took a class and they were like, talk about what put, set you aside. That's when it was like, oh, talk about being Iranian in America. And at first, that was kind of where I was going. And then um, then I also realized that there's more to me than just being Iranian in America. I'm, I'm a dad. I, I'm a bald dude. I, I'm, you know, I'm getting older. So there's a lot of other material I want to talk about. But that said, um, especially after September 11th, I realized that there was a need for me to talk about some things. Right. Um, and, I, and it's not like I sit there and go, hey, what's the social thing against Iranians and Arabs and Muslims? And <laughs> what is it with these? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's more like, oh, this thing really hit me. And I go, let me talk about this. And it's true. I think some of my favorite comedy is like I started as an Eddie Murphy fan, but I quickly, once I got into it, became uh, even more of a Richard Pryor fan because he yeah. was saying things. Um, and to this day, I love it when comedy says something. There's a famous line in a Public Enemy uh, song, you know, F the game if it ain't saying nothing, which like, can we say the word F? You can say the word yeah. F. He said, they say, fuck the game if it ain't oh, saying nothing. Oh, I didn't know you were going to say, I didn't know you were going to say, I'm kidding. Yeah, I no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so, so I love that line because it, it really is like, what's the point of the game if you're not saying something, you know? And right. And again, I'm not, it's not like I'm always trying to be in people's faces about stuff and, and, but I do feel like there's there's something there. For example, I just, you know, today I tweeted this thing. And it's funny because pe- people, first of all, you know, people are nuts. Pe- <laughs> people are crazy. Exactly. Crazy. On you, you, Facebook and Twitter and social media, they, you realize it It really, I was thinking about this, right? I was just thinking about this earlier. It really, um, I lose my faith in humanity whenever I post something. Wow. And I see That's the deep. comments. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Internet comments are the best and worst thing of yeah. the entire world. I'm like, what is wrong with you? So today I woke up, I'm looking at the news, and um, it says uh, some some white dude in North Carolina shot three, uh, this uh, Muslim guy, his wife, and his sister. Right. And I guess they had like a dispute. They were neighbors. There was a dispute over the parking space. Probably got heated or whatever. But I'm guessing the fact that they were Muslims, like they dressed in Muslim garb, mm-hmm. that, that probably pushed this guy a little bit, I'm sure. And so it's being, you know, being represented as, you know, Muslims were killed for just being Muslim. Right. And, you know, yeah. So I posted it. I was like, this is tragic. And, I, you know, I, I, and I said, I, I don't I cannot comprehend why somebody would hate somebody just based on the color of their skin or their religious beliefs or whatever. I just I kind of posted that. And I looked at my Facebook page and there's like, I don't know. 80 comments or 100 comments. And I, and I haven't even started looking because I know, because I looked at my Twitter. Now, right. tw- Twitter, usually the, the, the comments that you get on Facebook, that I get on Facebook, are even crazier than the ones on Twitter. Oh, yeah. So I was like, so I looked at the Twitter and I already saw 
like one guy going like, because I said this is, you know, I, was, I said this is, you know, I, I said racism against Muslims still exists. So some dude is like, Muslim isn't a race. They were white. And I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> I'm like, you just, yeah. I, I just, you just, just stop. You know, and I know, I know for a fact there's going to be an argument there because somebody, oh, somebody else posted, um, well, this is Muslims celebrating after September 11th. Like he has a video clip of some Arabs jumping up and, dude, that has, yeah, are you listening? Are you looking? Right. What are you, what is wrong with you? You know? And so how did I even get to this? I have no idea. Um, how do we get the, the, the question? Was, uh, no. Oh, the, the social stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. So I do feel like, I do feel like, yes, there is a need to talk about these social issues and like somehow find a way to bring this news piece into my act, not to make fun of the victims at all, but to maybe even make fun of the idiots that are on Facebook and YouTube like that. If I can, if I can build a joke around this where I come with a serious line and I go, some dude killed three Muslims and it was tragic. And then I posted it on my Facebook and Twitter and then start going into what these idiots right. were saying, making fun of the idiots. I think that that does two things. First of all, it brings the news to pe- – because people might not have even seen that. So that brings the yeah. thing to their mind. They go, Actually, oh, wow. it's funny because I looked at your Twitter feed and I saw it there. And I was, I was also kind of surprised to see a serious post on, you know, on, your, on your Twitter feed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but which, I, which is cool. I do it all the time. When something, something happens like that, I always post it. I'm like, I can't believe Because, you know, I'm, again, I'm posting a lot of trying to post funny stuff. And, you know, I try to post as much funny stuff as I can because I know I'm also going to be posting, hey, I'm coming to do a show in Los Angeles or L.A. or wherever I am. Right. I mean, I mean uh, San Francisco, wherever I am. So I know I'm going to be posting some of that and some of that. Uh, so then I also, once in a while, something like this. I mean, it hit me in the morning. I was like, this because these young guys. It was like 20-something-year-old. He was a dental student, the guy that got killed, and his wife was about to apply to be a dental student. Right. These guys were like good people, you could tell. And, and it, to me, I'm sitting there going like, these people might have come to one of my shows at some point. You know, and I and, and it was just heartbreaking that this happened. Yeah, totally. But it's just funny because so I do feel like there's a social uh, uh, thing that that uh, purpose that I have to serve. Yeah. Um, but I don't put that on myself. I, I ultimately have to be funny because I, I don't want to go on stage and preach for five minutes. Right. I, I can put a I can put a serious line out there, but I better have some jokes come in and the target better be the right target. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting. You, you know, it's you know, when I, when you think about who else is like if you if you don't have anything to say. And, it, and I think what you do is, you know, it's not hard hitting news like you just mentioned, but it's just more like cultural references. And I always wonder, like, what makes us laugh at that? Right. Like I can watch a George Lopez special. Like I've watched all of them and, yeah. I, and I'm like, ha, that's that's awesome. And it's great. I'm, I'm in no way Latino. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's something that's. It's okay for me to be a part of that culture in that moment, right? Absolutely, and I think that happens a lot in your in your work. Yeah, and I think that's important because I think that comedy is a good way to introduce your culture to people um, without uh, scaring them away, and also making them realize how much we have in common. I mean, even in the book, it's like in the in the preface I write, I, I talk about like you know when I was a kid in Iran, uh, the, my memories from Iran. Uh, as a six-year-old in pre-revolution Iran are of playing, um, you know, like uh, of, of uh, you know, watching uh, Muhammad Ali and seeing Muhammad Ali and watching Rocky and like Spider-Man and basically everything that kids in America were probably seeing. Right. And I go, it's amazing how similar our experiences were. And, and when I talk about like my parents, you know, being strict back in the day, because that was a different generation than we mm-hmm. are now. 
a lot of people relate to that. Or now when I talk about my kids, we can relate. We have so much in common. So I think that comedy is a great way to get your um, to to get people to to disarm people, right? You know, because otherwise, like if I'm if I'm at a if I'm going to go and and go in front of some some um, you know Christian fundamentalists and get a megaphone and start saying like we are not bad people, we are not killers, we are not terrorists, you know, it's going to become it's going to be a brawl. It's going to be a brawl, right? Right. But if I find, if I write a book and I try to make it funny. Yeah. And maybe one of them's walking by and goes, "I mean, what the hell is this?" And then maybe they look through and they go, "Oh, this guy is." You know, well, it's great. Right. It, it, it's funny because there was a um, there was a recent special on about Richard Pryor, you know, like sort of a, a you know a documentary, if you will. And I didn't even realize that like his early stuff in the '60s, unlike Merv Griffin, was super like Jerry Lewis and yeah. you know physical and like very safe and yeah. like no foul language whatsoever. And then one day he just had this. Like I need to be myself, kind of thing. Yeah, and that was when he really skyrocketed, and it was like he wasn't afraid to say nigger, right? And, yeah, and yeah. matter of fact, that nigger's crazy was yeah. you know the name of his album, and he's sitting there like you know on quote unquote white talk show and like talking about the album. Yeah, um, and it it was it became okay to tell the black experience, and you know you find that it starts to mute, you know, a lot of the uh, tension. Yeah, absolutely. The, ironically, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. No, it's it's true, and I think that uh, that I, I I look up to him in that in that sense uh, definitely because I think that he helped bring that culture to you know the the non black culture of America, right. you know, um, and uh, and and you know if, if I don't do it, then like I said, who is going to do it? You know, a lot of times people when something happens like the Charlie Hebdo killings, the right. massacre, people come on to go, why aren't Muslims uh, denouncing this? Now, first of all, I always qualify by going, I'm not even that religious. I'm not really religious. I was born in a Muslim country and my family was, you know, a lot of Iranians are very secular. Yep. But I have relatives that are Muslims, practicing Muslims. I have friends that are Muslims and they're nice, regular people. And yep. And I go... When things like that do happen, a lot of uh, a lot of organizations do come out and condemn uh, the massacre. Like very, I've never heard of an organization that's not a terrorist organization like cheering for something like that. Right. But but what what happens is they don't get press around it, and so they're stuck. So somebody like me who may have a little more access to media because I've been doing what I do. You know, I have a chance to go on a television show, uh, on a news show, and go, hey, first of all, let's call it what it is. These guys were criminals. Yeah. They, weren't, they don't represent Muslims. You know, let's call it what it is. So I need to use that voice totally. to get that across. I think we, we all, we, society tends to forget that assholes come from everywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So you, you can't you can't associate somebody with one broad group. Yeah. Like, and, and that could be like, kids are horrible. Like, oh, those skateboarding yeah. punks. Like, yeah. like, oh, no, not every kid on the skateboard is a punk. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, and also, listen, I, I feel that in America, we have, uh, we, we, we really, we sometimes go for the easy answer. For right. example, September 11th, they did it because they hate our freedoms. That's not why they did it. All right. There's there's political there's re, political re, reasons and repercussions of what they did. For example, if you look at it now, this many years later, Al Qaeda probably would have had a harder time thriving in Iraq under Saddam Hussein because mm. Saddam Hussein did rule with a tight fist and you know iron fist and and um, 
and they would have had a hard time. Well, what they did was they flew their planes into our buildings. We attacked Iraq. We created this this free for all there, and right. now Al Qaeda can thrive. So we basically did Al Qaeda's work for them. Right. Right. So that's one analysis that I've that I've read about, and, and that's one way to look at that. So hilarious joke, by the way. Hilarious joke. Uh, <laughs> and that's why the chicken crossed the road. Um, uh, but I just think we go very simplistic, like this whole thing with the Charlie Hebdo thing. When the cartoonists were killed, a lot of people were saying, like, "Well, they did it because they were offended about the Prophet Muhammad. They did not do it because they were offended by, by the the cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. These guys who went and did the Killings. I, I, I read this uh, uh, analysis. You were saying you're from Michigan. There's actually a, a professor at University of uh, uh, Michigan called, uh, his name is Juan Cole, and he talked about how uh, Al-Qaeda was having a hard time recruiting um, young French Muslims to join because a lot of the French Muslims are very secular. But by doing what these guys went in and did— uh, they're going to create a backlash against Muslims in France, right. and then it will be easier to recruit young Muslims into al-Qaeda who will be like, well, now that people are attacking my mosque, I will go defend and join al-Qaeda. So my point I'm making is that we go for the simplistic answers, yes. and sometimes if you are able to present something like this and find a funny way to re- present it to an audience, um, I think uh, you win. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely right. You know. It's um. And these these they're also very complex issues. Right? Yes. It's, yeah. You know, they're historical issues. Uh-huh. There are layers. There's strategy. Like you know. It's, yeah. You know, Al Qaeda is not stupid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. just a bunch of like gun wielding you know cowboys. It's yeah. Like no, no. There's like you said. There's a, a game plan. And 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 we also, I think when it comes to like people things that people are upset about politically or sociopolitically like. We don't know. Like we, what we know is probably ten percent of what's actually taking place. Absolutely, I agree with you, hundred <laughs> percent. I watch Scandal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I, this is a, a funny quote. Uh, why you always terrorist? <laughs> Followed by why you couldn't be doctor. <laughs> um, that was kind of it was kind of like your mom's you're talking to you about acting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're also a very smart guy, right? You you, you studied uh, political science. Yeah, you know. You know. Almost had a PhD. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what did what did uh, little little Gibrani want to do when when he was growing up? Well, you up? know, I think a lot of immigrant uh, kids can uh, parents people that with, with that have immigrant parents. That was my accent, by the way. Did I do it? It was yeah. great. You nailed my mother. You sounded for a second. I was like, Mom. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you hear that, Andrew? <laughs> no, I think that uh, um, a lot of people that have immigrant parents relate to this. It's like I always say, like immigrant parents leave a country, come to America for opportunity. So they'll come out. They'll buy a laundromat. They'll buy a, you know, uh, a little convenience store, whatever. They'll invest their money in something, um, wanting their kids then to become a doctor or a lawyer. So when that kid comes and goes, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of being an actor. They go, no, 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 you know. And uh, and so what happened for me was at the age of twelve. Uh, I did a play in junior high school, fell in love with being on stage. What was, it was the play? It was, um, I think it was Guys and Dolls because in an eighth so grade. you were singing and dancing. Singing and dancing. And Iranian. That's, and that's Iranian, a... yes. All right. Yes, yes. We sing and dance Triple a lot, threat. actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And then my eighth grade year, I, I played Little Abner in the play Little Abner. I was loving it. And then when I went to high school, my teacher there was like, hey, you're actually good at this. You, sh- you should consider doing it professionally. And I had no idea what that meant. Right. And when I told my parents, they were like, uh, you don't need to know what that means. What, what you need to know what means is lawyer means you'll get a good job. You'll get, you know, all this. Like, so they really were pushing me to be a lawyer or a doctor. But I said, okay, I'll try the lawyer thing. And as a matter of fact, it's funny because I went to Cal uh, undergrad and my sister has a an audio tape because she was there as well. And she was interviewing me. There was like a assignment she had about like interview a relative. So she was interviewing me and she's like, what do you want to be in the future? And I go, you know, on this tape, I'm like 17 at the time. I'm like, you know, I wanted to be an actor and a comedian, but, you know, my parents really talk to me and they make a good point. Like I'm going to become a lawyer and then maybe later on as a hobby I'll do. They really could gotten into my head and brainwashed me right to like on the side you can just tell jokes and you know act so it was a lot of back and forth and i did the undergrad i got poli sci degree and then at some point i decided i want to be a professor so i started a phd program at ucla in poli sci and literally that first quarter i was there I, I was thinking like, hey, as a professor, I get to be in front of students. I can, I can be funny in classroom. I can be funny in classroom. <laughs> and this is a perfect, and it's a, and it's a re- reputable job. Right. You know, my parents will be happy. I'll be happy. But our discussions always in, um, in the... Uh, um, in the classes would be like, what do we, what purpose do we serve as political scientists? And it was like, you got to publish or perish, publish or perish. I was like, well, I don't want to publish or perish. I just want to teach in front of kids. And, um, and then I realized that this is not for me. And I started doing plays at UCLA that first year. Did you tell your parents? Um, I did tell my parents, <laughs> but my dad had moved back to Iran at the time. My mom was here and I told her, and what's funny is, so I did a play the first quarter and then I realized, you know what? I don't want to be in this thing. I'm, I'm out of here. Like I did the play and I was like, I'm going to drop out of grad school. But while I was doing that play, that first quarter, there was a another MFA student who was going to get her master's in, in directing, and she wanted me to be in her play in the spring. So she goes, listen, I got to play in the spring. If you can hang out, I'd love to put you in that. So I literally hung out and would go to class and kind of try to be doing my political science stuff. And um, I did it for that year just to be in the play again. And I took out an $8,000 loan, and I stayed in school with that loan. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, they used to give you a, a UCLA ID card that got you $2 off movies in Westwood. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, if I see 4,000 movies, I break even because that's like, that'll get me my 8,000. Smart math. So I was thinking to myself, that's how I was going to do it. Right. And I think I saw three movies. <laughs> so Way to persevere. Yeah. Um, no, that's, I mean, that, that's great. It's just especially like looking at what that journey is. And I think that's a lot of people can relate to like what your parental and historic, you know, family influences on what you do today, like in, in business or how you interact with people yeah. or just like a, a temperament about certain things. It, my mom grew up in the projects of Detroit and, you know, um, got married at 18, you know, suffered through a not so great marriage. Yeah. And then at 33 decided, Hey, I should probably go to college and then ended up with two master's degrees yeah. and, you know, owned, own property in, in Detroit, and it was kind of like I had the same pressure. It was like, no, no, you're gonna do, you're gonna wear a suit to work. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, mm, I don't know what to wear. Well, a you suit. know what it is. Here's what it is. I think most people in your life that are your parents or, or other people around you, they want what's best for you, and a lot of times they think what's best for you is the most conservative route. Right. Go get your degree. Do this. Do that. Whatever. And and the way I describe it is like, it's almost like 
you're, you're driving a car. And when you're driving a car, you feel a lot more comfortable. You feel like more in control. The passenger's always putting their hand on the dash going, oh, slow down. Ah. Mm-hmm. So the passengers are, the passengers are your, your parents. And they're going, no, 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 don't, don't go for something crazy. And you're like, no, I got control of the road. I got it. I got it. And I think a lot of times it takes some perseverance. It takes some commitment. You really got to show them. Like when I finally dropped out of grad school and told my mom I'm going to go after this, she was like, okay, you know what? At least become a mechanic. I was like, mechanic? How'd you go from lawyer to mechanic? <laughs> exactly. And she'd come from a revolution. We came from a revolution. So I think in her mind, you know, she'd seen like generals in Iran come to America and be like gas station attendants. Right. So she's like, hey, listen, if you become a mechanic, at least if there's a revolution in America, you can be a mechanic in Argentina. You know, she was looking for the most conservative route. Right. You know, she's like, people need mechanics. Nobody needs actors. But it took me going like, listen, I love you, but this is my life. I get one life right. and I got to do it. And that's what, like, the dream, like, whatever that dream is, whatever the innovation is that you want to do. You know, uh, I actually, when I dropped out of grad school, I got a day job at the ad, at an ad, ad agency. And I was kind of doing a play on the side and do, having my day job. And then um, at one point, I was making a dub of the play. This is back when we had videotapes still. I was making a dub of the play uh, onto another tape for one of the other actors in, right. in the audiovisual room of the uh, audio video room of the ad agency. And there was a gentleman there. His name was Joe Ryan. He was like in his 60s. Very nice guy. He was in the room kind of saw a little bit of the play and he's like, hey, you've got some good comedic timing. Have you thought about ever, ever doing this professionally? I said, Joe, you know, I've been wanting to do it. And uh, at the time I was 26 and I said, um, I'm, I've got a strategy. I'm going to work in the ad agency for a while, save up some money. When I'm 30, I'm going to try and audition a little bit. And he's like, let me talk to you. He took me into his office. He goes, listen, I'm in my 60s. And he goes, when I was in my 20s, there were some things I wanted to do. I never got around to doing it. So if you really want to do it, do it now. And it was a light bulb moment. And I, great. and I went to my boss. I go, hey, you know, just to let you know, uh, I'm still here, but I'm going to prioritize acting as, and comedy. So if you want to fire me, you can fire me. And my boss was like, no, no, you stay here because he knew it wasn't going to be like overnight. Right. So he was like, you stay here. If you got to go on audition, just let me know. Use your lunch break going on audition. And so it was this, this, this light bulb of like, we live once because we all do this. Like we come up with an idea and we go, you know, it'd be really cool. What if they were a uh, drive through ice cream place and you go, Hey, that's kind of a cool idea. And then you just never do it. Right. Right. Well, if you're really passionate about it, Get on it, because if you don't, you're going to be 60, and you're going to be like, man, I never did she that. did the fucking ice cream idea. Fucking ice cream idea. <laughs> it's called an ice cream truck. <laughs> um, so the show is called Innovation Crush, um, and, you know, it's kind of a double entendre, if you will. Yes. Right? What are we, I have a crush on your, you know, on your, your career is, path. And is how that you your innovation, or are you just happy to see me? Hello. How about that? <laughs> uh, I don't know what that noise was. Yeah. It's old man, like, <laughs> laughing in the back. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> It's an old Filipino. I want to tell you that. Uh, go ahead. It's like the uh, uh, Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, yep. that's uh, Joe Coy. Yes, Joe Coy. Thank you. Um, what do you see out in the world right now that you're crushing on? You talked a little bit about social media and how that stirs conversation. Sure. You know, um, maybe there's some Iranian cuisine that we should be aware of. Or like, what, oh, what do you see out I there mean, that you're like, that's awesome. I've always like, I've always been a big fan of that stuff. Like I, I, I'm telling you, like in high school, 
one of my best friends and I back then, this is in like, I graduated 89. We wanted to basically do like, you got, you got all these delivery, grocery delivery and all this stuff. We wanted to like start a do- grocery delivery business back then. Um, and now it's like, you know, you just go on it, there's an app and you hit it. And right. somebody, so there's a lot of ideas like that where I go, oh man, I kind of wanted to, I never did that. So I'm constantly seeing stuff that I, that I think are great. And nowadays, like with apps, there's so many things. Um, you know, I'm trying to think some of the ones, well, the funny thing is one of the apps that I've, one of the apps is the most practical app I have. Grinder. Grinder. besides Grindr, oh, okay. um, is the flashlight app. Yeah, me too. It's a freaking flashlight <laughs> on your too. phone. I mean, how simple is that? And I paid a couple bucks, and whoever made it is making money. I'm just saying, like, uh, that is what, like, I, I probably use that more than I use Shazam. I'm like a music nut. So Absolutely. Like, and I love Shazam, too. Yeah. Shazam is great. I mean, it's like, you know what I'm hoping for, uh, what I wish there would be, there should be a Shazam, I don't, maybe there's, it's out there, a Shazam for faces. Yes. Where you kind of point it, and then it goes, oh, that's Chris. It's called the U.S. government. U.S. government. That's called the NSA. <laughs> NSA. You get your NSA app? Yeah, I got that thing. <laughs> yeah. no, but there's been so many times where I'll be watching, a, like, watching something uh, or see a picture of somebody. I'll be like, oh, I know that guy. Where is it? So it would be great if, you could, if it just – I don't know. But there's – I mean, you know, every day there's so many cool – uh, uh, things that 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 are coming through. One of the one of the problems as <laughs> one of the problems as a uh, performer, the problem is you get caught up in this rat race. Right? How many followers do you got? What do you got? How many? Fo- you got to get. We well, find a way to get more followers. Why do you? Why do you have more? What's wrong with you? You should have more. Fo- and every time, like like you finally get MySpace to go. Oh, this is one our business. No, no, no. Now it's Facebook. It's Facebook. Okay, da, 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 da. Now, now it's Twitter. And I, I was talking about this. I was like, first of all, Twitter. Like ten years ago, did you ever walk around and go, you know? I gotta, I, there's a, I gotta, I gotta express myself, but I only want to do it in 140 characters. Right. Yeah, I want to say it in as little words as in possible. Little words as possible. Like, I mean, it is so funny because we all get on this train, and it's funny. It's like people will be like, you know, are you on Instagram? I, I just got on Twitter. We used to be on Instagram. Kevin Hart has 10 million. On it. I'm like, I gotta catch up to Kevin Hart. And I'm like, <laughs> what's next? He's gonna be like, foot foot. Like, what's that? You just tap dance your tap dance your message, and and people <laughs> foot 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 foot. Are you on foot foot? You know. It's a crazy rat race, man. And foot foot. foot, I wanna, foot. I'm doing it. I'm telling you, man. Uh, the the all new tap dancing communication. Tap dancing communication. Because now service. there's Vine, six second videos. I mean, it's like. And Who would have thought that? Like, that was the one that got me. Like, Twitter almost got like, okay. Because when they first launched Twitter, they were like, it's a micro blogging platform. I was like, okay, maybe. Yeah. Um, small blogs. Okay, that, that makes sense. Um, but then it was like, what can you do in six seconds? Like, what, what's the point? And sure enough, like, I, I'll be damned if I don't watch Vine compilations at least yeah. once a week. Yeah. People do it. People figure out ways to do it. I mean, and Twitter too. I, I For the longest time, I was like, why would I do Twitter? I was like, who wants to know that I'm at the grocery store? Like nobody. And then I realized, oh, there's a million other things you can do. Getting news out there, getting information out there about your shows. Maybe you got to come up with a funny thought, whatever. So it actually, in the end, you go, oh, if I, if I get into it, there's purposes. Right. And that's what, that's what, I mean, that's what's beautiful about innovation is like, you know, there's a million ways. I mean, the whole Instagram is crazy. I mm-hmm. mean, like the fact that I could take a picture and, and make it look pretty, like yeah. just hitting a filter. Yep. You know, and I love reading. It hurts it. dating, though. It hurts dating. Because if you're like, if you try to meet some girl on Instagram, you're like, oh, 
You do not look like the four filters you put yeah, on your. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were a lot more tan. Right, it's worse than Photoshop and much prettier. Um, but no, but uh, I love reading the stories of how things came about too. I think Instagram came about because a guy was like, I think he was like in Hawaii with his girlfriend or something, taking pictures, and they're like, "Wouldn't it be cool if we just change this a little bit?" And he's like, "Aha!" Uh-huh. And he just did it. <laughs> that's so. It's, 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 I mean, that's a great point. It's like um, one of my favorite stories along those lines is uh, Reed Hastings, who founded Netflix, and. He got so pissed off about a late fee that he was like, it's got to be a better way to do it than this. And he's like, go. ah, Eureka. And then even he walked into Blockbuster and was like, hey, guys, I got this thing that we've been doing. And they're like, no, thank you. I'm like, okay. It's crazy. I'll tell you what, another idea I had years ago that I did not pursue. And this is all about, this is where it goes, this is your passion. This is the bald moments and the thoughts being bald closer moments. to the service. Yeah. But, but, it's like, but it's like, this is about like pursuing your passion. Because if I were passionate about it, I would have pursued it. And this was like 20 years ago. Um, and now they have this, but I, I went to, I went to a, uh, uh, I was looking for a, uh, a Greek restaurant in LA where you could go eat and then break the dishes because Greek, mm-hmm. right? So I look, 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 nowhere, nowhere, had a hard time finding it. And I was like, God, there should be a guide that would help you learn about these places, like find these places a lot faster. And then I came up with this idea with a friend of mine, actually my friend helped to develop it, but um, it was uh, it was this idea of like okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna feature restaurants and 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 sports and this and that all over L A right and we were calling it uh, we were calling it play in L A P L A Y in L A like mm-hmm. if you wanted, one of the things that we came up with we were like well what about if we had um, for all the venues in L A we had the view that you will see from your seat so <laughs> when you buy a ticket. Right, right. Actually, that that came right along. The the, the this the, the other thing that happened was I bought a ticket to a concert, and I bought what I thought were good tickets, but ended up being not good tickets. So I was like, what if we had that? Right. And we kind of were like, well, we got to go to every venue, take a picture, we got to get their permission. How are we going to do this? So I ah, forget it. And you know, whatever. I don't know how many years ago, but I'm reading the USA Today, and they're like, Ticketmaster just bought for X number of millions of dollars this technology that will let them show you. Ah, <laughs> shit! You gotta you gotta go after one of these things in a minute. I know you, you could have been a billionaire by now. A billionaire. Um. So, uh, last but not least, uh, complete this phrase for me. Yes. Um. Innovation to me is. Innovation to me is always thinking. Always be thinking. ABT. ABT, because not always be closing. You're right. not a salesman, you're right. an innovator. Yes. Always be thinking. That's awesome. Like, uh, sorry, Michael Keaton in... in uh, in uh, multiplicity, no, in in night shift. <laughs> yes, remember um, edible paper, edible paper. He's like, I'm an idea man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what does your mother think about you now? My mother's into it now. She comes over uh, for free merchandise from time to time. <laughs> she's like, she's a comfortable passenger. Yes, yes, she's a comfortable passenger. Uh, how can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Maz Jobrani. Uh, also, mazjobrani.com. And uh, that's M A Z J O B, like boy, R A N I. Gotta have a J O B if you wanna be with me. Oh. Mm. Mm. And uh, and I'm touring a lot, so people should look it up. The books, the book's called "I'm Not a Terrorist," but I've played one on TV. It's available online. Uh, it's a funny read. I guarantee you, or your money back, but not me giving your money back. Someone else will give it back to you. Um, I think, but maybe they won't <laughs> give me my money back. Just resell it. You know, right. um, and you'll get uh, some money back if you take these 
four steps. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I'm out there. So I'm going to be in L.A. and San Francisco. I'm going to be in New York, D.C., Chicago. And the touring continues. Come out, see me live. Will do. Will do. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, everyone, this has been another awesome installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.